it probably took us six months before we ever wrote a single line of code. But by that point, we actually knew what we were building. We knew what challenges we wanted to solve. And that let us architect the underlying application to scale to the challenges we expected based on those conversations. Now, you know, did we get everything right? Of course not. But, you know, it put us on a much more solid footing. We didn't have to do a, a full code rewrite three months in when we realized that we can't handle more than, you know, a certain amount of data or a certain type of data source or whatever it might be. My name is Oleg Friedman. I'm CTO here at Verb Data. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Oleg Friedman took his product knowledge and built a developer-first tool to create customer dashboards. All this and more on Code Story. Oleg Friedman has been at this startup thing for a while. Most of his career, he has been working for himself remotely. In high school, he was drugged into entrepreneurship by a few of his friends, creating an e-commerce website in 2002 for selling furniture. They figured out that they sucked at selling furniture, but made a pretty good website. And post that, he got involved with restaurant ordering and turned it into a thriving business. That business, called Onesis, sold to Living Social, after serving four countries around 10,000 restaurants and doing quite a bit of online business. Currently, he lives in Cleveland, Ohio, but has done stints in Austin and Boston. He's married with two little girls, three years old and seven months old, and his major hobby is Legos. He has a huge Star Wars collection, owning one of almost everything. When asked if he shared the Legos with his girls, he mentioned that they knew daddy's Legos were off limits. Prior to their current venture, Oleg and his co-founder, Dave, ran an agency focusing on high-fidelity prototyping. After doing many projects, they figured out that the process of creating dashboards for a product was mostly the same, but took a ton of time to prepare the data, extract data, and display it. They both figured out that they could create a solution to make this process simpler. This is the creation story of Verb Data. Verb Data is an integrated, embedded solution for dashboards and any data visualization that you may want to do in your SaaS product that you show to your end customers. So we really make the work of creating a, whether it's a full-fledged dashboard or a single pie chart on your website that you want to show to your end consumer so that they can visualize their ROI, how their product is performing, how their sales are going, how their workflows are managed. Anything that they may want to know in a visual representation, we're helping you automate all of that. Connect all the way down to the data source. We'll help you ingest that data, then model it, transform it in any way you want, and then build visualizations to actually show to your customers. And the embedding process is super simple just a couple lines of code to, to get it to work. And that takes a ton of that effort out of building those dashboards. Dashboards are incredibly valuable to that user, but building them takes a lot of effort, a lot of planning, and then also a lot of management as time goes on, right? Your schemas evolve, you're adding functions and features to your application all the time, and you always want to continue to visualize those on your dashboard. 
that's cycles and, and sprints you're taking away from your dev team instead of actually building core functionality. And there's, and there's like nine steps to that process, right? It's not just Chart.js. If it was that simple, great. But, and Chart.js is fantastic. Uh, there's a ton of great visualization libraries, but actually preparing the data to get to a point where you can display it. That's really the, the, the meat of the, the effort. And that's the part we're helping also take off the plate. And that's really where the engineers love our product. They're saying, oh, well, I don't have to actually do any of the, the, the grunt work, right? Writing all that SQL, perform, you know, using a third-party tool to extract the data, then using another third-party tool to transform, and then using a fourth or fifth or sixth third-party tool to you know, visualize and get all that together. Um, and this is a problem we've had personally uh, you know, throughout pretty much every SaaS business I've ever run. I mean, we've built dashboards several dozen times over, uh, either at businesses I've been involved with or when we ran an agency for other SaaS businesses we ran. It's a pain, but you have to do it. it customers expect it. It brings credibility to your application. It also helps your sales cycle, uh, right? It's really nice to show a pretty dashboard when you are showing off your product, but they're just, they're hard to build. They're, they're time consuming to build and uh, they take away from, from what you should be doing, which is actually adding core features, core functionality to your product. Well, tell me about the MVP. Tell me about that first product you built, how long it took you to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. I'll take one quick step back before that. Before we ran Verb, my partner Dave and I ran a agency where we actually focused on high fidelity prototyping and building MVPs for our customers. When we got around to building our own, we we had a little bit of experience in, in doing that. We, we based that business on a book by Marty Kagan called Inspired. Um, fantastic book for anybody looking to build product. Not an overly technical book, more on the product management side, and uh, but excellent overall. The MVP for us really was first, before it ever became even a thought, we validated the idea. So we had about 150 conversations that we've logged and recorded before we ever even drew anything, right? Before we ever, definitely before we ever wrote a line of code, but before we even drew out a you know, a sketch on a piece of paper of what we might want to be building because we had to fully understand the idea. There's so many different data sources out there. There's so many different ways people want to visualize their data. And frankly, there's just so many SaaS businesses out there. You know, we had to figure out what people would want to do with our product long before we ever built it. Um, we then kind of distilled those hundred conversations into uh, a very early MVP, which was simply actually pre MVP it was simply a prototype. It was an Envision app with, you know, a bunch of clickable screens that didn't look all that pretty, but you know, you could click around and get from page to page. And we then figured out what all the problems were, which were everywhere, right? Because your first crack at it is never right. But the high fidelity prototyping uh, approach to it, let us click, drag and move, and then call that person back and go, hey, hey, we fixed that. What do you think of this now? And, and what was great is those those people we spoke to early on, they were a little more involved now because we got them to give us some input very early on. And they were actually really happy to then go back to them and say, well, you know, we have this high fidelity prototype. Can you take a look at it? And they gave fantastic input over and over again. It probably took us six months before we ever wrote a single line of code. But by that point, we actually knew what we were building. We knew what challenges we wanted to solve. And that let us architect the underlying application 
to scale to the challenges we expected based on those conversations. Now, you know, did we get everything right? Of course not. But, you know, it put us on a much more solid footing. We didn't have to do a, a full code rewrite three months in when we realized that we can't handle more than, you know, a certain amount of data or a certain type of data source or whatever it might be. Six months before we wrote a line of code, probably another six months before we had an MVP, we were had customer had multiple beta customers on. You know, we tried to get beta customers onto it as early as we could in the process. And there was a lot of smoke and mirrors until, you know, some of those features that we promised those people were were around. But, you know, your early beta customers are the best friends you'll ever have. Cause if you can find some very willing participants that that see the problem just as much as you do uh, and give you solid continuous feedback. Uh, there's, there's I love how you approach that. that with the high fidelity uh, prototype there. Um, th- let me dig into the the MVP, the coded MVP, the beta you've got people on. You know, even even with a you know a well a well old process of going through that high fidelity prototype, you you have to make certain decisions and trade offs once you start building of you know technical debt you're going to accept or feature cut or anything like that. Tell me about some of those decisions and trade offs you had to make and how you coped with those decisions. Prioritization is is always the hardest part, right? Because you you see what's directly in front of you and you try your best to predict what people will need or use. I mean, now that our product has been live for so long, I mean, people are not entirely using it the way we expected, right? Which is great because that means that people have found alternative ways to apply the product to their business. But at the beginning, as you're building the MVP or as it's as it's evolving, we're very customer driven. Customer requests take priority generally over what we think they might want, right? Because if somebody's telling you what they want, that's that holds a lot more weight. And we're constantly having, or we're, and still are having conversations with people who aren't customers, whether they're, you know, referrals we got or somebody we've worked with in the past or whatever it might be, large businesses, the larger uh, the customer or potential customer you can talk to, the better, because they're gonna have more and more, one, unique use cases, um, but two, uh, larger use cases, right? And, And building and architecting for those for that future growth is is super critical at the beginning because that's what causes all those rewrites. For us, it was find the first roadblock for somebody in our application. What are they going to stumble on first? And for us, for example, it was ingestion. So we wanted to make sure we supported as many data sources as possible. And you know, if if we didn't have that perfect chart for that type of absolute use case, okay. But if they could never get their data into our system to begin with, then they would never get to, you know, step four or five in the process anyway. So it was it was really trying to find how to get as much coverage on the step-by-step aspects of our application, but also not trying to be exhaustive and not trying to predict what people might need. You know, we knew what the biggest data sources are out there and what the most commonly used ones are. We built for those and everything else that came after was by pure request from customers. You know, if they came in and said, oh, we don't have A, great. We'll figure out how to build A. One, you know, is it possible? Absolutely, great. You know, we'll we'll slot that in as we go rather than trying to begin the build process and trying to build for A all the way through Z. That was just never gonna be a realistic scenario. We would never get live. Shipping is, is, almost more important, right? Even if you've shipped something that's 60, 70%, uh, trying to get to 95 or 100 is, is a literal impossibility. And it's just gonna cause you to go back and, and do more and more over and over again. 
Well, take me to the next phase then. So you've got your MVP, you're, you're gathering customer feedback, you're reacting to it, building what they're asking for and prioritizing in that stage. But what about the next stage? How did you progress the product from there? And how did you mature it? And, and to give context to where I'm going, how did you build your roadmap? And how did you figure out, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? Balancing roadmap is, is it, you know, it comes back to prioritization. It's the same challenge you have as MVP as you have the mature product. Our, our roadmap is 70% customer driven, 20%, you know, uh, technical debt resolution and 10%. We, we come up with wild ideas and, and, and go from there, right? But even the wild ideas, those are prototyped and tested long before they ever see, you know, the architect's desk because trying to figure out how to build something is, is pointless if you can't validate that it's worth building. M many ideas die before they ever see a developer, which is exactly what you want. Uh, engineering is always the bottleneck for any business. It certainly isn't ours, right? Hiring is, is a challenge more so now than ever, but it's always a challenge. And so getting enough people to, to execute against engineering tasks is hard and wasting their time doing something that nobody ever uses, buys, or pays for is, is even worse. We hold very frequent meetings with our customers. We validate new ideas and prototypes against those customers all the time. And, you know, some of it is, of course, what is the gap between us and, you know, something that they built in-house, right? Because that, truthfully, for us is we view that as one of our biggest competitors. Dashboards are something that uh, inherently are built or, or historically rather, are built in-house by a development organization. Um, how do we influence a engineer, a CTO, product manager, whoever it is to say, hey, you know what, that's something we build in-house, but it's not bringing us enough value. Let's use Verb instead, which brings us the same value without any of the engineering. You have to think about the developer uh, a lot in that. And so a lot of our product roadmap is around making the developer's life easier. But just it's the same, you know, you have to think about the end user, the actual person viewing the dashboard to make sure that they're having a fantastic experience too. And everybody in between, people building it, et cetera. So with any business, it's, uh, I don't pretend to, to have us be any kind of unique scenario, right? There's always so many different stakeholders in an application uh, and you have to consider all of them, not just the, uh, the final result. Well, let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Team's hard. Verb is, is young enough. We actually just closed our seed round. So we're, we're starting to, to really build out our team. And um, I'll, I'll plug that we have many positions open at this point. So please visit our site if you're interested. Uh, everything from product management to development, uh, all of it. As far as what we look for, I mean, experience matters to me more than outright education. Universities are fantastic. College is great. You know, schooling is excellent. But self-motivation to learn that new thing, whether it's at school or not, uh, is to me just as important, if not, well, frankly, it's more important. Um, and recent experience is really important. So working on the latest and greatest is 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 very valuable knowing what exists out there and wanting to keep up with technology wanting to keep up with the latest tools wanting to keep up with the latest uh, architectural approaches whatever is it's significant to your part of the business that that to me matters a ton and 
you know, the desire to, to work with other cool people in a, in a very unique scenario. I mean, I've always worked at small companies and small companies, startups tend to attract a very specific breed of person. You, you have to be willing to put in the, the hours, but also you know, invest not only time, but the desire in, in watching the business grow just as much as the founders do. So it's a, it's a hard thing to, to, to look for, but when you, when you talk to somebody, you either see it or you don't. Well, let's talk about scale for a minute then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, you know, post that, you know, high fidelity prototype or are you fighting this as you grow? A lot of both. Um, you over architecture, it, I think it's one of the, the biggest sins a, a startup can make simply because that means you invested a lot of time and resources into an approach that you haven't been able to fully vet against the real world. That said, not designing or architecting for scale is also one of the biggest sins. So you got to find a way to thread that needle and, and understand that your first customer is certainly not going to be your biggest, but you also don't want to try to architect for, you know, some massive Fortune 500 company if you don't see that coming down the road, if that's not your first attempted sale, right? If you're if you're selling to small, medium businesses, there's no point to, to try to architect for a Google, right? But if you can't scale to that medium business, then you're going to be in trouble and, and rewriting a ton of code. So making sure you're picking the right deployment strategy, the right underlying architecture, built, and also assuming that whatever service you're using for A, B, or C, whether that's email or, or text or, or you know data connection or whatever it might be, that probably isn't going to be the service you use a year from now, or, or it might not be at least, right? So building out in a true service uh, architecture using all the, the great and very cheap and very easy to use cloud architecture strategies that now exist from uh, the major hosting providers. They make it pretty easy to, to build to scale, but in doing so, also don't find a way to not lock yourself in entirely into a hosting provider. I think there's no problem picking one and building to it, but also understand that your customers are going to want you know, if you pick AWS and your customer is at GCP and they say, well, we only will work with you if you're in GCP, make sure it's not a complete rewrite of your application to, to host in GCP. You know, you talk about GCP, you talk about um, you know, AWS. In my head, I go to, you know, items like uh, like Snowflake and and perhaps Datadog or, you know, any, any like warehouse type of um tools right how do how does verb fit in with uh, with that world so verb can integrate into any of the warehouses in a lot of our customer implementations we sit side by side with their uh, bi strategy so if they have an internal bi team doing business analytics you know trying to figure out where their next customer is coming from trying to figure out how to you know get more out of their existing customers that's fantastic and there are great tools that let you do that verb really focuses on your existing customers and your the end user at those existing customers so if you're a b2b or a b2b2c business the people using your actual application need that fantastic experience as well and so if that data 
resides in your core application database, great, we can ingest it from there. If you already have it nice and you know, transformed and managed or, or centralized in something like uh, Snowflake or Redshift or whatever, great, we'll ingest it from there. Uh, but we're, we're really designed to live at any size business. So you know, whether you have a data analytics team already uh, or not, whether you have data engineers already or not, hell, whether you have engineers or not, you have several customers already that, that have no engineering team but really needed a fantastic data experience for their customers. We work with a lot of the no-code tools uh, that exist out there and, and we wanna make sure that that experience is great, whether you've got a team of you know two or 200. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? Playing the role of architect at the majority of companies, and you know, especially at Verb, I'm proud that we're not re-architecting on a constant basis to deal with new customer requests. Um, I think understanding not just the immediate business, but the um, you know the, the medium term, at least, of where Verb is going, I think is is incredibly important. So having conversations with our customers just as often as I'm having with our engineering team, I think is is incredibly critical to planning the architecture properly, so that we're not uh, finding ourselves drowning in technical debt, having to rework and rewrite the the best. Thing that I, you know, I see on a day-to-day -day basis is somebody, you know, somebody from the product teams comes and says, X wants this, and we can just say, okay, that's not a problem, right? Sure, it requires effort. Absolutely, you know, we'll have to dedicate resources to it, but it's not something that you, you know, we go, oh, that's not actually possible because, you know, we we chose this path and they want to, you know, that requires us to go down this completely, you know, opposite direction. Um, keeping that architecture flexible and uh, and, and highly maintainable, I think, has been what I'm, at, at Verb, most proud of. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. You know, don't pretend we don't make mistakes. There's no business that doesn't make them. I think the biggest mistakes we've made at, at any level versus Verb or prior is down that architecture path. It's not architecting for the possible use cases, right? So not just not just truly architecture, but just designing the business to work for the possible use cases. You, we've had you know 150 conversations before we ever started the business. Could have had 150 more, and brought in even more information about how somebody's using it. Like, for example, Verb. We did not anticipate people using simple flat files, Excel files, CSVs as often as they do, right? Because our experience wasn't in doing that. And somebody you know nobody we talked to said, "Oh, I've got." all this data dumped into CSVs, I just want to use that. Our expectation was engineering team would connect their database. Well, we didn't build the experience to be good enough for that. We've redesigned it completely, but fortunately it was mostly UI redesigned, but still those are you know use cases where we expected people to use the system one way, they're using it a, a different way and, and seeing benefit, but not nearly enough you have to dig for that information, right? Not ever if they're not running into an explicit problem, somebody's not going to know that they could have a better experience. Having those constant conversations with customers led us to a point where they said, "Well, I wish this was different." Oh, really? Tell me more. And then on the team building side, I mean, 
you know, I don't know any CTO who's never made a, a bad hire. There's always going to be, you know, people related issues. But I think the, what I've learned there is move on quickly. Uh, don't let somebody drag the team down with them and, and find resolutions quickly, you know, find fair resolutions, but find resolutions quickly. So what does the future look like for Verb, the product and for your team? We've got more roadmap than we have people. So team for sure, uh, priority for us right now is, is hiring great engineers, great product people, great designers to help accelerate the production on our side uh, and execution against the roadmap. A lot of those features are expanding on existing functionality, but also adding a ton of you know, AI and ML style stuff. But no, that it's, it's not just that, but it's, it's the application of machine learning, application of artificial intelligence, adding truly predictive analytics into an application, even for the SaaS side, right? Some of that exists today on the BI aspect um, about, you know, predicting where your customers might come from on the CRM. CRMs are pretty good at doing that. Um, but giving your end user some of those same tools at scale so that they can figure out if you're running a, a, a SaaS e-commerce business, where should they be investing to, to further their growth? If you're running a uh, workflow business, you know who should be assigned the next task because they have the most availability or whatever it might be, right? And those kind of visualizations and data analytics are, are where we're where we're heading. But also, you know, just adding more and more visualizations in general. Uh, we have a great mapping feature coming out. We've got some use cases around currency conversion coming out very soon. Um, and those are all, you know, customer demand. Uh, and and roadmap items that we we really want to get out there and, and execute at a very high level. Let's switch to you, Oleg. Who influences the way that you work? You name a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person that you look up to and why? I, I've had the fortune of, of, as we've exited some businesses, the, the businesses that the larger companies that have acquired us have had great leadership at them. And there, there's been tons of influence from people at, at those leadership positions who executed against their plan really well. My two previous partners that I've started, that, that I, the guys who dragged me into this whole thing, the reason I'm even sitting here talking to you, um, I think are, are truthfully my two biggest influences, Stan Garber and Alex Zakubovich. They are very different minded than myself, but also understand that you need tons of different viewpoints and you need to be really good at your part of the business and let people who are really good at their part of the business run that aspect of things. So that's why we worked really well together. They taught me everything I know about business uh, because I knew nothing about business when I first started. Um, and I'd like to think I taught them a little bit about uh, engineering, but you know, who knows? <laughs> well, we talked about a mistake but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Not to say that I've taken the right path every time, but I, I don't know if I, I would have because Verb, for example, exists only because we've made so many mistakes in building dashboards so many times, right? Um, I think the greatest business ideas and the greatest implementations of businesses are ones that you've struggled through so many times, you know, the pain of, and you've heard others have that same pain. 
And so I don't know, I, I, I'm sure I, you know, if I thought long and hard on it, I could come up with, you know, A, B and C that, you know, but to me, more important is, is capitalizing on the knowledge of those mistakes and utilizing them to, to grow the existing business to, to further the next one. There's always an opportunity to do better. And, and if you're making the same mistake twice, that's the problem, not making it the first time. Last question, Oleg. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it to, off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I, I think the advice I'd give them is the same one that I, I think I, I kind of started with is talk to people, talk to that, talk to me sitting next to you on that plane and then go talk, you know, turn to your left to talk to that other person. You know, even in the same industry, try to talk to as many people. I can't tell you how many people in the data space we spoke to before we ever started Verb. There's always that concern of young entrepreneurs. Oh, that's it's my idea. They're going to steal it. If you know what you're doing, if you have a great idea and you know how to execute it well, you shouldn't worry about the competition taking that idea. You need them to help you validate that it's even worth approaching. And then coming back to, to prototyping, we we don't write a single line of code. We don't, you know, if you're not a technical founder, that's totally fine. Find yourself a great product manager or find a way to play that role and prototype, 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 validate, 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 and then go build. Those are the, the approaches we've taken and, and they've worked out pretty well for us. That's so solid advice. Well, Oleg, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Verb. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.